Uh, seriously, I've been sick a week. A couple people came to my house this week, and they and they walk in and they see me and they go, "You look terrible," and I'm like, "Thanks, you know, I appreciate so things like that." It isn't the milk duds. <laughs> milk duds take colds away. <laughs> if only they made throat lozenges that tasted like milk duds. Now that would I got. And I like puke and die. Okay, uh, if you, hopefully all of you, but I know you won't. You guys will like head out the door as soon as we're done. But if you guys would like to stay and help with our cleanup day, that'd be great. Uh, so uh, if you are going to help out when we're done, head back through those doors, grab a piece of cake on the way by, and then, uh, not right here, but like in the back, just cake on the side. And then go in the back room around where the pool table is and stuff. You're like, we got a pool table? Yes, we got a pool table. I said we ought to put a locked fridge with some beer in it too for it, but you know, nobody listens to me. Uh, so back by the pool table, and uh, we'll, uh, that's where you guys will go. This is your first time here. Welcome. <laughs> uh, we have this this thing is called Let's Say Thanks. Uh, Xerox actually did this, and it's free. doesn't cost you a thing. So um, what you do is you go to this website, and you click on it. You can make a little card, and it goes to someone in the military who's overseas, and they can't make it back for Christmas. So you can be like, hey, I'm nobody from Santa Maria. I, never, I know you never heard of it. Whatever. It's in California. Woo. So, uh, you know, Merry Christmas. Thanks for all you do. And it sends it just to some soldier that's stuck over there, and it's free. Xerox is doing it. So, you know, go there. It's a cool little thing to do. Right? Yeah. All right. Uh, woo, yes, I got to go clap for that one. Uh, if, if you're new or you've been here for a while and you don't have a Bible, uh, let us know because we'd love to give you one. We go through a lot of scripture on Sunday mornings typically, and well, you guys shouldn't think I'm just making all this up. So we have Bibles to give you if you don't have one. They're not the best Bible in the world, so on a heavy rain, don't stick it on top of your head because it'll just like soak up like a sponge. And then it'll go from being this big to like being this big. And then you'll be like, oh, you're like one of those Christians. will be like, no, I just got my Bible wet. I don't know what to do. <laughs> All right. You know what's really funny is um, I, I'm weird, if you don't know this. <laughs> this, is a, this is a total side tangent story here. But uh, we get a knock on our door this week. It's like Monday night. And all of a sudden the doorbell rings. I'm like, ah! You know? So I open the door, and it's, the, and it's these kids, Pat and Donna. Uh, sent us this uh, poinsettia from these kids that were getting. And I'm like, kids are getting <laughs> And And then they, they give it to us, and I'm like, hey, you know, what's going on? They're like, we're going to give you this from Pandana, and we're going to sing you a song. And I go, do I get to pick it? And they go, no. And I go, oh, well, that's not very fun. I go, do Carol the Bells. They're like, there's three of us. And I'm like, so? I'm all, do, 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 do. And... and <laughs> <laughs> and they won't start singing the song. I'm all like irritated. And they're all, we're going to sing you, we wish you a Merry Christmas. And I go like, please now be done. And they're all, no. <laughs> so I'm like, come on, people. I can't catch a break. So they start singing and they start, they're going, we wish you. And it was really nice. And all but I'm all, do, 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 do. I don't know. I think they just left and were like, we're never going to go back there again, ever. So, all right, stand with me for reading of God's word. We'll get going here. Yeah, don't show up to my house with a poinsettia expecting to sing the song you want. Uh, this is Acts chapter 5, starting verse 19. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. Go stand in the temple courts, he said, and tell the people the full message of this new life. Let's pray. Father, uh, this morning, 
we, uh, as your people, ask that you would come and that you would teach us the full message of this new life that you have given us, that we would honor you and that the message that we speak would be your message. Amen. Have a seat. And I totally forgot about this. I'm really sorry. I got care of these things. If you're, they're going to come around and hand you some bags. This is not for the message. It's for something else. Golly, I'm so scattered. It's the cold medicine. I am seriously doped up right now, by the way. So they're going to hand you these bags. For a fa- and this is what you're going to do with these bags, okay? Like one per family. You're going to go home this week. You're going to bake like a dozen cookies. If you really stink at baking, go buy a dozen cookies. We like the ones with the M&Ms on top. Uh, and, and, then, and then bring those back next week. And it's not a cookie exchange. Okay, what we're going to do is you're going to bring these cookies back, and we're just going to put them all out in the back room. We won't put your name on them, so if yours are really bad, we can't go, oh, don't ask them to make cookies. Okay, but we're going to put them all in the back room. We're just going to eat cookies next week. Because yeah. cookies, it's like cookies heaven. Very close, very close. I don't think they're the pearly gates. I think they're like the cookie gates. We're going to be like, thanks for letting me in. Yeah, so there we go, and you get your bags. Oh, man. Aaron didn't get a bag. Aaron, your dad got one. This is how it's going to go this morning, by the way. Like I said, I'm just kind of a little... Um, so we are going through the gospel. Shh, stop it, people. What's wrong with you? We are going through the gospel of John. Uh, if you have your Bible, you can open to John chapter 4. That's where we're going to be at today. Uh, Christmas is really kind of the story uh, of Jesus, you know, coming and then ultimately his, his death and his resurrection, you know, for us. And the next couple of weeks, we're going to kind of cover that story a little bit. But I'm going to give a couple people are going to come up during the next two weeks and give you their story about some stuff that happened in their lives. Uh, two weeks ago, we looked at the Ishkadul, if you were here, we looked at his story. And three weeks ago, we looked at this lady called the woman at the well. We met how she, how she met Jesus and how Jesus spoke words of water and life and meaning to her. He also tells her that she is the Messiah, which is amazing because he didn't tell anybody else this as blatantly as he told her. Now, this is the second half of that story. If you weren't here three weeks ago, I got to give you some background so you understand where we're at. Uh, basically in Israel at this time, you have like Judea and Galilee. In the middle, you have this place called Samaria. On the outside, you have Jews. In the middle, you have this weird hybrid known as Samaritans. Uh, they, they kept some of the Old Testament scriptures, but not all, and they mixed it with some Assyrian worship, and it was just a really bizarre type of religion. The Jews hated the Samaritans. The Samaritans hated the Jews. And if you were a Jew and you were going from like Galilee to Judea, you would typically go around Samaria, which would double the length of your trip. They, they hate each other. They, they do not like each other at all. And so Jesus goes, and Jesus walks right through the middle of Samaria. Uh, there is, this is at noon on a hot day, middle of Samaria, Jesus doing his thing, and a woman comes to this well. She has had five husbands. She lives with the guy now that is not her sixth. And Jesus speaks words of truth to her. He doesn't pull any punches. He blatantly states things straight out. And as a result of that, she understands first that God is her father. She understands also her sin and what, is she doing, and what she is doing. And then she also understands what God is able to do in her life. And what you see mostly in this also is that Jesus did not care about his reputation. He cared about this woman. I mean, this would have been scandalous. A rabbi didn't talk to a woman at the well in the middle of the day, a sexually very loose woman at the well alone. Rabbis didn't do that, which tells us that Jesus is not like us. We are double-minded people. We each have two of us. We have the, the we who we really are and then the image we portray to other people. We have who we are and then the resume we put in front of other people and say, oh, this is me. Okay, this, this really good person right here, that's who I am. Jesus doesn't care about that. 
which I think is one of the most amazing things about God, is Jesus only cares about God the Father's opinion. So again, no rabbi would have talked to this woman, this sinful woman alone. This woman goes to the well in the middle of the day. No one from the town associates with her. She is entirely alone. And yet Jesus is more concerned about God's power and his salvation and his redemption of people than his reputation. This is where the story picks up. Disciples, disciples come back. They went into town to get some food. It takes 12 guys to get lunch. That's just how it works with dudes. Uh, and they see Jesus talking to this woman. So this is verse 27. This is where we pick up. Then Jesus, uh, G- just then his disciples returned and were surprised. Why? To find him talking with the woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? It's like the disciples are kindly starting to get who Jesus is and he knows what he's doing. I mean, they come back and like, what is this? Well, that's Jesus. Okay, okay we're just going to go with that. I mean, and this is back to the same thing. There are kind of certain places and certain, certain things that we don't do because of our public image. I mean, Jesus doesn't sin at all, but he crosses some fairly established lines of propriety. Verse 28, and so actually he talks to her, Then leaving her water jar, she drops it. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. This woman drops her stuff, runs into town, and says, You know what? I am sinful. There is a guy that told me everything I have ever done. That's what she does. I mean, this is so foreign to us because we live in a world of like mutually agreed upon rules where, where I have my false self-image and, and you don't attack it and you have your false self-image and I don't attack that and we're okay. Like you can run around, you can be, pretend to be smart or attractive. Just don't attack my self-image of being very manly and we're going to be okay. And so we have these like little rules. Yeah, woo, amen, okay. That's, we, we have these rules, and so we play our illusion. This woman drops her illusion. She just goes into town. This guy showed up. He spoke truth. In our world, nobody speaks truth anymore. We make this movie called Liar, Liar, right? And it's about Jim Carrey goes around for like an entire day telling the truth. And it's a comedy. <laughs> You're like, oh, my goodness. Well, no, we wouldn't do that because it breaks all of our social patterns. Someone asks you, they say, well, how are you doing? What's your first response? Fine, good. It's just like that. We say fine. Even if there's tragedy in our lap, we say fine. Why? Because we don't think the other people asking are really that honest with us. I mean, everybody asks you. You go into Starbucks, you know, and they're all, how are you doing today? And you're like, fine, good. You want a coffee? And you're like, you don't really. You go into a furniture store. How are you doing? Fine, good. You want to buy a couch? I mean, it's, nobody really cares. I mean, if, they, if someone asked you how you were doing and they give you one syllable to sum up the totality of your life, they don't really care. Okay? We say fine because we think someone asking isn't really being honest. We say fine because we don't want to confuse or disrupt other people's lives. I mean, if, if we just started telling the truth, we would get ostracized. We'd be set out there. I mean, how are you doing? Bad. I got some bunions. I got some places that itch that really shouldn't itch, and I don't know why. And you know, How are you doing? Fine. You know, that's what you say back. The game gets played out like, you're going to say whatever weirdness you say, I'm going to say fine, and then we're going to go on our own little way. Uh, other people, you know, they, they say fine because they don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be ostracized and be, end up like the woman at the well. We don't want people to know all of our junk, so we hide stuff. We don't ever want to tell people the worst that we've done. I mean, sometimes when we're really honest, we stay close, but not really the worst that's there. I, it, it should not surprise us that other people are sinful too. Everybody, I sit in my office sometimes with couples for marriage counseling, and I talk to them, and they're like, oh, we fight about this and this and this, and I'm like, so? I said, you're normal. Everybody fights about that. Let's find a good way to fight. 
And the people come in, everybody's thinking they are abnormal when they are completely normal. And so we come in, you know, and we're all sinful. Everybody's got stuff. We just got to deal through some of the issues. We all do terrible things. We should never be surprised when somebody has done something really stupid and screwed up their lives. We love the partial confession. Well, I did this, but not really all of that. We're just like the woman at the well when, when she says, well, I don't have a husband. Well, she had five and she's living with the dude now. You know, it's like saying, well, I didn't have a drink today. I drank the whole fifth. You know, I, I had all of it. it We also say fine because we try to fool ourselves to make ourselves think we are better than we are to uphold this false self-image of ourselves. And so we want to look good. Oh, I'm really a good person. Oh, I'm really not that bad. I I don't know why we just don't look at our bad days of us and figure, well, that's normal and all the good days are the aberrations. Because really, we are not that good. We like to say, well, it's not my fault. That sin's somebody else's. It's not really that deep. I'm okay. I mean, I think this woman is completely stunned that someone cares about her. She goes to the well alone every day. She walks home alone every day. The only guy that talks to her is using her for her body and will not marry her. She is alone. And so Jesus shows up, and he actually cares about her. I think she's stunned. Jesus sat at the well and said, how are you doing? She says, fine. He says, no, how are you doing? How are you doing? God comes down to sit at a well to listen to this woman and find out how she is doing. He knew her. He knows all the things inside she's already trying to hide. And she looks and assesses all that she did and realizes and knows that God loves her anyway. I mean, this woman leaves her bucket. And in a rush, she runs into town. And she goes, all I know is this. I am terrible. Jesus told me the truth. And she starts telling people this story. He told me everything I ever did. She goes into town and does the work and evangelist. It's almost like... She's been reborn. It's almost like she's born again. It's almost like earlier in the chapter when Jesus says, you'll have springs of living water welling up in you. It's almost like that's actually true. Isn't it? It's amazing. It's like a kid out of the womb, just like, wow, and there she goes. I mean, new Christians are like this. They're just, they're a little uncomfortable sometimes. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was a nut. I'm like, I'm like you're wicked, and you're going to hell, and it's hot, and you're screwed, and, it's, and forever's a long time. New Christ- yeah, I know. The new Christians are a little uncomfortable. Sometimes it's beautiful, the passion, but eek, you know. She says, then leaving her water jar, she drops it. And just, just all passion. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Well, like what? Oh, like this. And they're like, okay, that's enough. Go to my happy place. Go to my happy place. I'm not going to. Because she just tells me, lays it out there. I mean, seriously, think about this. Think about if, if God came and he shows up face to face and he speaks truth to us and we decide to speak truth as well. What good things come out of that? Aren't there good things that come out of that? Yes? Very good things. I mean, being honest makes us known. Being honest lets us know where we start so that hopefully in five years we're not in the same spot that we were when we first started because we know where we started and people know where we started. It helps us to be known. Uh, There are benefits to people who hear our truth when we speak it. I mean, maybe they have issues of their own. They could possibly use your honesty to get a good, clean start. It's so nice to hear someone say, I've been there. I've been through that. I know what you're talking about. Let me help you with this. It is easy to lose hope, but it is also much easier to walk this road with other people who have been down it. It's one of the reasons in January we were finally starting our our small groups, because we think it is good to journey life together with other people because they help us to walk this road that is very hard. I mean, if, if we are not honest about things going on in us, there are some people around us that will never know again that their struggles are normal, like the married couples I talked about before. I mean, this, this woman is probably a serial adulterer. 
going from man to man to man, and the whole town knows this. And I'm sure she walks in, and I'm, I'm sure people hearing her thought, if God can love her, if God can redeem her, if God can care for her, then maybe there's hope for me too. Maybe there is hope. I mean, maybe your sins aren't the same as this woman. I mean, I hope not. But even if they are, the same result can still apply. God can do good things with that. Uh, another thing is that we see the change that takes place in people's lives when people are honest about where they start and where they're going. We see the change. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. This is not who I am anymore. That's who I was. I am not that person anymore. All things are different. All things are new. In 1 Corinthians 6, 9, and 10, Paul makes this long list of sins. And then he says, that is what you were. He says, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. We can now be honest about who we are and about our image. We can be honest about where we are going and where God is calling us to. We can be different. I mean, the woman is like, everything has changed. I'm completely different. Now, if you've been following the story, how long has she been a Christian? Ten minutes, hour, maybe two hours. It's like, yeah, remember way back when at lunch? When I was just evil and awful. It's like, it's been like an hour. I know, it's amazing. You know, and she's like, this is wild. It's, that's how it is. It only takes a moment. I mean, you got to get a heart for this woman. You know, all the, men, all the women kept their men away from this woman. I mean, in a small town, it's hard to get five dudes, much less five husbands. You know, and she's got five, and she has no self-control. In Romans 8.28, it says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. The woman's evil life has led to one of the most amazing miracles. This entire town comes to find out who Jesus is and to follow Jesus. It's really amazing. I mean, when she stands up and she talks about God's grace and God's redemption and God's love, it's pretty significant. And I think people are moved. So verse 29, she says, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? They came out of the town and made their way towards him. I mean, she's like, Jesus told you the truth and loved you? Yeah. Well, okay. I mean, people drop what they're doing. They head out of town to go spend some time with Jesus. I think it's amazing. Jesus does a miracle in Jerusalem, the religious center of the world. Big crowd doesn't really show up. They're like, yeah, whatever. He talks to this one sinful woman in this town outside of Sychar where no one would think anyone would come and follow Christ. And all of a sudden, the whole town turns out to hear about him. This is why I don't put a lot of stock into people who are like, oh, you know, let's, let's get some pro athletes to become Christians. All those pro athletes, they became Christians and the world would change. Or if we got a Christian president or, you know, if the, the lead singer of corn or the lead singer of the chili peppers, if he became a Christian, well, then a world change would then happen. I don't think so because nobody really cares. I mean, the guitar player from corn, you know, he becomes a Christian and he put out a CD. It's not bad if you, you know, if you want to pick it up. It's, it's not bad. But, you know, no one really knows what he's doing. It's really kind of quiet. But if you look and you take a sick nobody, all of a sudden the world begins to change. I mean, who runs the soup kitchens? And who runs the orphanages and the relief organizations? We don't know. They're nobodies. And yet they are changing the world. That is amazing because God often changes the world not from the top down, but from the bottom up. It's beautiful. And for Sikar and, and for us, it would be all, all the crack houses and the strip clubs and the porn shops. They empty out and they all start coming to find out who Jesus is. And people are like, oh, I didn't know God loved those people. Well, I didn't know that they would actually love him back. I mean, and that's the beautiful thing. Sikar is a town of heretics and false gods, a place where they practice child sacrifice. And now they're going to plant a church. It's amazing. 
I mean, this woman, she is, is off in the town telling her story. The disciples are like, okay, what's going on here? And all of a sudden, the whole town's starting to come. And so now the disciples ask Jesus a couple questions. Uh, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And I swear sometimes Jesus and the disciples have got to be like, what is he even talking about? <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't get it. If you understand or try to understand John and the metaphors that John uses, you know, like, like water and wind and marriage and bread and, and all these things that he uses throughout his gospel, you begin to understand Jesus calls himself the bread of life. As he does the will of God, it is like a meal. Uh, sometimes after Sunday morning services and I explain like a concept to you guys and talk about Jesus and you guys get it and it clicks, it, it, I'm like, ah, it's very satisfying. Because it satisfies to my calling and my soul about who God is, what he's called me to do. And it's a great thing. When we participate in what God is doing in the world, there is a taste that is pleasing beyond measure. Some of you guys maybe have never experienced it. And I would say that's probably because you're not being obedient to God. This woman is a great example. I mean, there's this myth that says, well, you've got to get it all together. You've got to figure it all out. Clean up your act. Finish your degree. No Greek and Hebrew. Then God uses you. Memorize these verses. Take these classes and we'll figure it out. I mean, this woman is like Humpty Dumpty. She has fallen off the wall. There's egg everywhere. It's a total mess. She's, you know, full of adultery. Every husband, guy she's living with. And we would go, well, move out. Make amends. Go to Bible college. Someday God will use you. You know, no. Someday she'll be dead. She won't be the woman at the well. She'll be like the woman in the hole. This... She knows, all she knows is this, God loves her. He has changed her. She has forgiven her. And she is going for it and doing what God is calling her to do. She is living God's life and will where she is. And it's amazing the difference in people's lives when they realize that God actually loves them, when God cares about them. I mean, sometimes I think people really struggle simply because they will not be obedient to who God is in their life, the life that God calls them to participate with them. And so Jesus tells him this parable in verse 35. He says, Do you not say, Four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for the harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wages. Even now uh, he harvests the crop for eternal life, so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, One sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Again, Jesus uses something that is very common to what they know. They live in an agrarian society, so it's all about harvesting and reaping and, and being farmers and stuff like that. The Samaritans from the town are coming out to meet them. They're going to go into town and they're going to begin to reap a harvest that they didn't actually go in and plant. This woman did. They're standing in a place where the crop is coming to them. You and I, we go into the world and we scatter seed. And sometimes it is tough. It is tough. We live this life that, that hopefully shows people what a life could be if they love and follow Christ because there's something deeper and better in that. And sometimes in our world, harvesters have to wait for the harvest. In this story, the woman has just done all the work. And they're just going to sit there and they're going to sow. It's like in a harvest time, what would happen is, is it would be a party. People get together and you'd pick all your fruit and be like, woo, it's a party. It would be great. And this is what's happening to the disciples now. These people are going to come in. They're just going to all of a sudden start talking to people, and it's going to be beautiful. Now, have you ever seen a life changed? Anybody ever seen a life changed gone from, yeah? Anybody had their life changed by Jesus? I mean, the, the difference in the life is amazing in what Jesus can do. Someone going from death to life where the burden is lifted, where the weight is gone, it is amazing. So I'm going to introduce you to my friend Saban this morning, if you don't know who he is. Um, he's got a story like the woman at the well. 
but he's not really a woman because he's gigantic. <laughs> right there, that one. I'm gonna get the chainsaw. Let's wrap. Let's wrap around there. He wants to walk around. He wants to get the whole mosh pit feel. So I wanted Saban to share his story with you. So, Thank you. But we're going to tether him to the left side of the stage. Apparently. Well, how are you guys doing? Good, good. good. Ah, gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> I'm going to open up in some prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I just want to ask that the words that come out of my mouth right now just be of you, and the glory be all yours and nothing of me at all. Um, thank you. Amen. Uh, well, I'm going to start at the beginning. My mom, the day I was born, was left. My father had left my mom while she was in the hospital. Um, like the second I was there, he was gone. So my mom, never having a job before, not having living in a city with a, a very minimal family, had to go out and find a job. Well, she didn't just find one job, she had to find two. So I was actually raised, for the most part, by... I guess you could say my cousins and my uncles, who are mostly cholos. If you guys know what cholos are, uh, the good majority <laughs> in Santa Maria, never. <laughs> the good majority of them had been in prison at least two to three times in their life, and uh, my first drug deal was at the age of four. I was actually uh, taken along on the babysitting ride and uh, sat in the back seat as some drug transactions or gun transactions, whatever you could have, was going on at that time, so I was kind of raised in this environment, and uh, first time I was ever uh, arrested, or detained for that matter, I was 11 years old, it was for breaking and entering, uh, second time I was ever detained or arrested, I was uh, uh, 15, and um, it was for uh, holding a concealed weapon that was intended to use for a murder, I was holding on to a knife that had been used to stab a gentleman 37 times. Uh, two weekends prior, we had gone out uh, gangbanging, as the cousins obviously used to do. And uh, that's exactly where it led. We were in front of Charlie's. The gentleman got stabbed 37 times. I got to hold the knife. Two weeks later, I got picked up by the cops. Did a little bit of time for it. Nothing major. I was still a minor. But it was kind of a, a pattern that had already started. And I was used to it. In fact, I was embracing it. After that, I, after my little time spurt that I spent, I actually found a, 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 some new mentorship and, and started hanging out with some new people who actually introduced me to uh, the teachings of a man called Anton LaVey. And Anton LaVey, uh, if you don't know, is the leader of the Church of Satan. Uh, he actually founded the first satanic church. And uh, I followed his teachings quite well. In fact, uh, uh, later on in life, I actually formed the first uh, satanic church in Lompoc and was ahead of about 11 members. So that's neither here nor there now. <laughs> But um, the, sec- the third time I'd ever gotten arrested was for a drug charge. Did a little bit of time for it. Nothing major. It was, I was used to it. But to me, I was getting more respect on the inside than the out for a little bit. It was still was a small-time criminal at that point. But about four years ago, I did something horrific where I got picked up by five FBI agents and uh, nine sheriffs from, uh, I think, a total of uh, seven different counties altogether. I had been arrested for 1,182 second-degree auto burglaries over a three-year period. Looking at some major time, I was looking at 75 to 80 years. I was going to spend the rest of my life in prison, basically. Uh, the thing was, is that that time I had been arrested, I got arrested here in town, and they had taken me to the substation. And from that substation, they put me in ISO because I was kind of a, a pain. They didn't want me talking to anybody. They didn't want me calling anyone, trying to clear up some messes. They were going to search my house that I had, and, and they were going to go through the whole shebang. They were just going to lead an entire investigation they'd been planning on for three years, and finally they got me, and they knew I was where they wanted me. So 
from that portion that came on, I knew that something had to change in my life. I knew something was different, but I wasn't really sure what. I knew I was going to spend a lot of time in prison, and I knew I wasn't coming out, and I knew that everything was over. Well, I'm an ISO. They put me in isolation. I was in a room with a phone that didn't work, and I tried using it multiple times, and then all of a sudden the door swings open. And if uh, any of you has ever been in jail, that doesn't necessarily happen. They usually give you your food through the hole, or maybe they'll open it and see out, and someone will give you your food. And that's about it. That's the extent of the, uh, the contact you get from any other human. Well, I didn't see any CEO come in, and the door swung up, and this dude that was, like, filthy. When I say filthy, he was, like, disgustingly dirty. Walks into my, walks in. I'm sitting there in this room. It's basically all concrete. Nothing to do. I'm trying to figure out what I was going to start doing my push-up routine, because that's what you do when you get locked up. You start figuring out what you're going to do as far as your workout's concerned. It's just what you're going to be doing. So he sits down, he looks me in the eye, and he goes, do you know Jesus? And I was like, What? you got to be joking me. Like, seriously? He's like, no, nah, man, I'm serious. Do you know Jesus? I was like, no, nah, man, I don't. Well, the guy sat there for about an hour and, and decided to go along, with this, go along and start to proceed to tell me about what Jesus has done for me in my life, how I can be redeemed of my sins. Well, it sounds pretty good since I've done a lot. As he sat there, an hour later, I knew lunchtime was going to be coming pretty soon. And I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to think. The door swung open again, and the guy walked out. And then a gentleman who I'd been locked up with before throws me my lunch. And he's like, what's up, bro? And I'm like, nothing, man. He's like, good to see you back here. I'm like, really? Normally, I would have just ate my lunch. But I put my lunch down, and I thought about what that dude that sat across me said. And I looked at the phone, and I was going to call my mom. I called her. I said, Mama, and she's all, where are you at? And I said, I'm in jail. And she goes, oh, again? And she says, Mijo, you got to find the Lord. I said, what? She says, you got to find Jesus. Okay. So we got taken from, I got taken from the substation, and they, they get, get these giant buses, and they take you from there, and they, they want to take you down to the main, and they house you to the main jail down in Santa Barbara. I'm looking all over for this cat that I saw that came into my room, like came into my cell. You know what I mean? I'm looking all over. I'm trying to find him. I'm asking the COs about him. They're thinking I'm nuts. All the other people are like, "Dude, this guy's crazy. He's talking about some dude that's not even here." I'm just like tripping out. And so the first thing I do is I ask for a kite. I haven't even been housed yet, but I've asked for a kite, and I want to talk to the chaplain. Well, before I even get to being housed, I end up talking to this guy. This guy named Dan Gaither. He's the Santa Barbara uh, County Jail Chaplain over there. Nine hours. He talked to me in a booth about this wide and a piece of glass on a phone. And I told that man every little single thing I'd ever done. He ended up telling me later that he got in trouble with his life because uh, he was only supposed to be gone an hour. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> Pattern hadn't changed yet, apparently. <laughs> and um, what's, what was in, intense about the whole thing is that through a piece of glass, he asked me if I wanted to invite Jesus into my life. See, I, I didn't know what to do. When I was in that, that holding cell, I had asked Jesus for help, but I still didn't invite him into my life, and through a piece of glass, I did. I sat there after I got done talking with that guy for about another four hours in this room. It was, like I said, the size of a closet. And they were going to house me from that point, and they got me my, my box, and they got me my mattress, and, you know, what song was that? 
<laughs> so they got me my box and they got me my mattress and um, something was different about me this time. I didn't necessarily know what it was, but I knew something was really different about me. I didn't have that look. You have this look that you have to have when you're getting locked up. You got you got to automatically going to know that you're probably going to get in a fight because you're going to see someone you did dirty on the streets. And so you have that about you. You just have this glare. I didn't really have that this time. It wasn't even a part of who I was anymore. Well, I, I looked up, and I, as they were taking me to the, to the tank that I was in, and I was, hold, and I was holding my stuff, and all of a sudden, I was like, what was that? And I looked down, and there's a Bible on top of my, on top of my, my stuff that I was carrying. This dude, when I first walked in through a Bible, slapped me in the face, literally, and, and was in front of me. And I was like, all right. <laughs> You know, I got it. You know what I mean? It's cool, dude. Just we're gonna get we're gonna get there. <laughs> so I found a bunk, and normally before I would actually take whatever bunk I wanted, this time I actually took a top bunk, which is kind of hard for a guy my size to get a top bunk, and because uh, normally I would just take whatever I wanted. But this time I said like I was different, and I saw these three dudes that were sitting in this one corner over there on this one guy's bunk, and I just kind of had a feeling. So I grabbed that Bible and I walked over to them, and I asked if I could join them, and they said sit down. And I did my first Bible study, and I read the Bible for the first time. Well, the next day I told them, I said, you know what we're going to do at dinner? We're going to have you guys sit over here at this table, and after dinner, which they serve about 3.30, I'm going to get up, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna start something. They're like, no, dude, don't start any trouble in here. We're, we're, we're kind of cool with our little group the way it is. I'm like, no, we're going to start something. So, all right, so after dinner, I got up, turned the television off, and I was like, I'm going to have Bible study in here every day after dinner. Anybody got something to say about it? No one really said anything. And I was expecting to get, you know, there's more than more of them than there are me. But for some reason, nothing, nothing happened. Well, that Bible study started off as four people and ended up growing up to about 45. My mom was able to pull a lawyer. And I got off in a year. I was expecting so much more. But the Lord had something more planned out for me. You know what I mean? He had something more intended for what, what I was going to do. And the one scripture after, the first scripture I ever read was Psalm 62. It says, My soul finds rest in him alone. And my salvation comes from him, for he is my rock and my fortress, and I will never be shaken. I've taken that scripture to heart. Forty-three men held hands the day before my release in prayer inside of, a, inside of a holding tank in Santa Barbara County Jail. Forty-three men out of 60 were holding hands in a jail praying about my release. That's unheard of. 29 years of my life, I did dirty. 29 years of my life, I did nothing but take from people, destroy people's lives, destroyed my own family's lives. I sucked the living life out of them. There's nothing I can do to give that back. Except from this point forward, I'm going to try to. Because the Lord has given me my life back. He hasn't just taken something and, and given me a whole, but he restored me completely. I'm not just healed, I'm restored wholly. That means so much. I've got a family. I've got twins, two little, be- two little beautiful children, a boy and a girl. I don't deserve them. I've got a wife I don't deserve, that's for sure. I've got a family that loves me, and I've got a church that loves me. 
I promised Aaron I'd keep this under six minutes, but I'm sorry. <laughs> I just can't. Now today, I'm a leader of a ministry. I own my own business. Um, I give back to the community as much as I can. This is no joke. Salvation is no joke. You should never take it for granted. You know, I've been forgiven a lot, and so I know how much love love costs. I didn't have any love before this at all. I still don't know how to love except Jesus showed me first. So I'm going to ask Aaron to come back up. This little switch reverse here. And I want to thank you guys for listening. And uh, it's been really my, a blessing to me to, to be able to stand up here and, and do what we're doing. I'm going to put the microphone back. And... I thought a cholo was like a chocolate Twinkie. <laughs> The word sin, it, it's, it's an odd thing to kind of talk about today. because the conversation that you get in about it and how it comes up, they're, they're always just a little awkward. I, some people say, what do I need to know? What is, what is it I need to know? And I always say, sin. Well, what does that mean? And we have rebelled against God. We have gone our own way. As a result, everything is cursed and everything is going to hell. That's how it is. And we are complete idiots and we are screwing up the entire planet. It is who we are. And if you are honest, that's really the only answer that's out there. That one. If you don't believe, even if you don't believe in sin, that answer makes perfect sense of what's going on today. We don't believe in the inherent goodness of anyone. I mean, we lock our doors. You get in the car and you drive 60 miles an hour down the freeway and you lock your doors just in case someone might get in at 60 miles an hour on the freeway. It's really odd. Sin. People are screwed up. And some people never heard that. They, they never thought about the effects on our world are because of this thing called sin. And a lot of people don't even understand Jesus. They think of Jesus as like, oh, moralistic politics or good behavior or love or family values. But they don't fully comprehend what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to fix the sin problem. That's why he came. And Jesus then says, you send the laborers into the harvest. You don't know who will love God, so we tell everybody about it. We tell everybody our stories. Jesus does not go forward through marketing or gimmicks or schemes. He goes forward by us being honest and telling our story about what he has done for us. That is how he goes forward. And this is where this chapter goes. In verse 39, it says this, Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. What was the woman's testimony? He told me everything I ever did. He was honest with me. He laid it out there. She is convincing. She wasn't trained. She wasn't schooled. She's terrible. And she just tells her story, and the town responds. They're like, my goodness, did you hear what happened to her? It's amazing. Um, remember the relational networks I had you guys do like weeks and weeks ago if you were here? You wrote those little things out. Her story reverberates throughout that entire network in her life. In verse 40, it says, So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. Again, Jesus goes to religious capital of the world in Jerusalem, and they run him out. He goes to Samaria with the sickos and the wackos and the freaks, and they say, We love this guy. It's a holiday. And they respond by listening. They tell their neighbors. They tell their friends. They want him to stay. They care deeply about Jesus and what he wants to do, and word gets out. It is amazing to see who God saves and who gets it. 
if we are honest about ourselves and if we are honest about what Jesus has done, the hope that we display becomes amazing. I mean, I love this woman because she is so honest about her life and, and about her story. I just think Jesus got to sit there because of this woman for two days telling people the truth and changing lives. In verse 42, this is how this section ends. It says, They said to the woman, We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. They get it. Jesus gets that title from them. He is not just for the Samaritans. He is not just for the Jews. He is not just for Americans. Jesus is the Savior of the world. He cares about those sitting here and those sitting there and those in America and those in Afghanistan and Iraq. He is the Savior for the world. The Samaritans got it. Sometimes it seems like they're the only ones that did. God wants to take all nations and put them back under the authority of God. They grasp the story because of this one wicked woman. And so what are we to do? We're here to tell our story. We tell our sin. When we, when we talk about how God has changed us and what God is in the process of doing, how we met Jesus and the things that he spoke to us. Because when you do, it has tremendous power. And you might just push the domino in somebody's life that helps them to come to know him. And that changes a life near you. And so if you are here today and you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to respond. You respond to him. And you get your own story. Uh, for those who do believe, you know, we remember our story and respond in worship. Because it is all about God's glory. I mean, some, some of you guys, you, you've probably been Christians since you're like eight years old or something. I, you know, you heard this message and you believed. And you know what? You don't have a story like Savings. That's cool. I think one of the greatest stories is I, Jesus saved me and now I love Jesus and I loved him some more and now I love him some more. That's a great story because that's a life where somebody around you has been changed and so it enabled you to live that life. I mean, that's beautiful. The stories that we have. And so if you do believe, we're going to respond in worship. Take a moment to remember your story, where he has healed you, where he has restored you, what is he restored in your life, as opposed to where we all could have ended up without him. We never forget our stories because our stories are not about us. They are about him. And that's the whole point of, of communion. I mean, we come and we remember Jesus who came, you know, in his birth. You know, the early church never divorced Christ's birth from his death. I mean, Christmas is just about the birth. They always connected the two, the birth, the death, the resurrection, the new life for us. And that is the point of communion. I mean, Jesus came and he died, and that's symbolic in how we break the cracker like his body was broken. We dip it in the wine or the grape juice. And then we, drink, we take that because it reminds us of what Christ did and how we are supposed to refocus our lives. So we go out and we tell that story. We worship God through communion. We worship God through song. The band's going to come back up. And they're going to sing some songs of redemption and, and hope and, and the story that, that God is our great and glorious God. Now we're going to worship God through prayer. There'll be some elders in the back of the room. And if you don't have a story because you've never come to know Jesus Christ, well, they'll be back there to pray with you. If you do know Jesus and you just feel like, you know... I started five years ago here, and five years, I'm still in the same spot. Well, you know what? Pray with them. Pray with them. So that maybe five years from now, you can have a life that's full of redemption and hope as well. We're going to worship God through giving these offering boxes and sidewall and in the very back of the room. And then we're going to worship God by fellowship and hanging out and hopefully getting you guys to clean. 
a little bit in this place. I mean, one of the reasons why Jesus died and rose and it says that he reconciled us not only to God but to each other so we can have relationships again. We can be known by people. People can know us and we don't have to have this, this image we put out there. We're going to be honest about who God calls us to be. And so we're going to worship God by fellowshipping, hopefully while we're scrubbing. You know, that kind of thing. So let's pray. Remember your story. Remember Jesus and tell it outside of these walls because that is what's important. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that as a people, we honestly take to heart the calling that you placed within us, how you have made us different, how you have redeemed us, how you constantly, day after day after day, draw us to new places, and you teach us more about the love that not only you have for us, but the love that we are supposed to have for each other. And all these great gifts that you've given to us are not because we are so good. It is because you are good. And so we worship you. Because our lives and our stories are not about us. They are about your story. And your redemption for mankind. So have us be those people. To live deeper and deeper. Every day of our lives and the unfolding redemption story that you have given to us. Amen.